It's a genuine pleasure to greet you this morning. Uh, please take a moment and locate the friendship pad on your pew and sign that please and pass it along to your neighbor. I want to extend a warm welcome to all who are visiting with us today. Uh, we're glad to have you. There's some special information provided in the bulletin in the welcome section and we encourage you to read that and we invite you to return again soon. I've been asked to highlight a couple of announcements. First, the Bible study on stewardship and leadership, which was scheduled to begin later today, will start instead next Sunday, September 7th. Secondly, on September 21st, there will be a luncheon following the traditional service in honor of Ann Mayfield, who will be retiring next month. The group that's planning the luncheon needs to know how many people to expect. So in the bulletin today is an insert that looks like this. Um, please note that a response is needed by September the 14th, and there's no charge for that meal. Let us now prepare to worship God.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray together. Lord, we come here today because we can, because you have created this amazing world, because you have given us days and nights to live by. You have given us minds to make decisions and understand with, and hearts to fill with, because we are lucky enough to have the freedom to use these gifts. Amen. affirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me ask the children to come forward now for some moments together. glad you're here this morning. Tomorrow is a holiday. Do you know what the holiday is called? Labor Day. And it's a day that, we, that recognizes and honors all the people who work hard in this country. Did you know that? That's what Labor Day is for? It's to show our appreciation and thanks to these workers. So on Labor Day, they get the chance to not work and rest and relax. And what does it mean for you? No school, right. Well, when we talk about jobs or workers, sometimes we, we know what someone does by what they take with them to work. Have you ever thought about that? Like, if I was going to work and taking this, what is this? A hammer. What kind of work do I do? Hammering. Yeah, maybe <laughs> building of some sort. Yeah, maybe construction, something like that. What about if I took a paintbrush? Artist. Painting, uh, maybe an artist, yeah, or I could paint houses, something like that. What about if I took this, what's this? This is a spatula, so I would be a cook, yeah. A chef. a chef, you're right. So we have, as workers, we have supplies that help us to do our job the right way. Well, do you think that there are any jobs like the ones that we mentioned or others that don't have enough workers to do the job? Do you think there's a shortage of workers in anything you can think of? Maybe, maybe not. That's kind of a hard question. Well, that's actually talked about in the Bible. The Bible talks about a shortage of workers when Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers for his fields. The world is waiting to hear the good news, but there are so few people to tell everyone. There aren't enough workers. 
do you think that we could all help with that and be workers for God? I think we can. What do you think we would carry with us to be workers for God? That's what I brought with me. I brought the Bible. Do you think we have to carry the Bible with us to be workers for God? No, I don't think we do either. Maybe we could just carry somebody's groceries if they're having a hard time getting them out of the grocery store by themselves. What's something else we could carry? You got an idea? Yeah, maybe you don't have to carry anything. Maybe you could just be nice. That's a good idea. Anything else? What about holding the door open for somebody? Or if a friend is sick one day at school, how could you help them the next day when they get back? Could you fill them in on what they missed? What were you going to say, Christy? Yeah, you could help them get caught up. So there's lots of ways. That doesn't mean we have to carry things necessarily, but lots of ways we can be workers for God and His kingdom. So will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? To help us do that, repeat after me. Lord God, help us to be good workers in your kingdom. Make us bold to share the good news of Jesus. And make us loving so that we might share God's love. Amen. said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
to worship and to praise you. Only you are righteous. You are the source of all that is beautiful and good and true. Accept our thanksgiving for salvation and for the relationship we can have with you through Christ. Thank you for life and for all our blessings, both material and spiritual. You have taught us in Jesus to bear one another's burdens. So we pray today for those who are going through difficult times. We pray for the poor and the sick, the depressed and the anxious. We pray for those who are unemployed and underemployed. We remember those who are in danger from the fury of the elements of nature or from the violence of fellow human beings. Heal, protect, encourage all of these according to their need. We also pray for those who are grieving because of some loss. For them, we ask for the divine comfort of your Holy Spirit. We also pray for ourselves. 
Free us, Lord, from any burdens that we are carrying today. Use us as your ambassadors in the week ahead. Grant us the humility to ask what you would have us do. Show us the right path to take at work, at home, at school, and in the church and in the community. Help us to bear a good witness to the good news of your love. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord, who taught the disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As an act of worship, let us now give our tithes and offerings.
be seated. I'll be reading two passages. The first one, Paul's letter to the first Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And then looking to Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, a new football season is underway. Uh, the high schools, the colleges, the professionals, they've all started their games. And those of you who are not sports fans must wonder sometimes about people who seem to be obsessed with sports. Fanatic sports fans can be found everywhere. And one of my favorite humorous stories is about a man who was crazy about golf, and maybe you've heard it. Gil came home late one day, and his wife Liz said, Gil, you promised you would be home by four, and now it's eight o'clock. And Gil pleaded, honey, I know. But please, let me explain. Poor old Roger is in the hospital. He was not unconscious by a stray shot on the eighth green. And Liz responded, that's terrible. And Gil said, it sure was. For the rest of the game, it was hit the ball, drag Roger. Hit the ball, drag Roger. Yes, the love of sports can sometimes be a little pathological. There's no denying the fact, however, that in our culture, sports is a huge phenomenon. There are millions and millions of sports fans. This morning I'm going to suggest to you that St. Paul had an interest in sports. 
Yes, the Paul who wrote half of what we find in the New Testament. I can imagine that Paul was fascinated with the Olympics, which were held in ancient Greece. And I believe he was particularly interested in the running events. And I can draw that conclusion because images from foot racing turn up again and again in his writings. Take, for example, the first letter to Corinthians, which I read moments ago. In it he asked, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And then he goes on to advise his readers, Run in such a way as to get the prize. Paul's point there was live your life in such a way that you receive the reward of eternal life. Another time Paul referred to running is in his letter to the Galatians. He wrote about going to meet the church leaders in Jerusalem. He went to explain the gospel that he was giving to the Gentiles, the preaching he was doing there among them. He wanted the approval, he wanted the blessing of these leaders of the mother church in Jerusalem. So he went there to explain what he was doing, quote, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. What Paul seemed to be saying was how sad it is to live your life for the wrong reasons or to have nothing to show for your efforts. For Paul, lessons learned from sports had much to say about the Christian life. And even if sports is not your thing, I believe you can appreciate some of the principles that Paul found in sports, principles that relate to Christian living. So let's look at three of them that are important to our Christian walk. The first principle is that victories are won not on the playing field, but in the training room. Let me again quote Paul. He said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown of laurel that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul was saying that victory demands more than just showing up for the game. It involves more than just playing on game day. It requires discipline, practice, hard work. Ask members of a high school marching band about discipline. Ask the players on the high school football team about discipline. They know what practice is. They understand the results 
that can come from disciplined action. Years ago, the football coach at Michigan State University was Duffy Daugherty. Coach Daugherty told a story about a winning field goal that was kicked by a young man named Dave Kaiser. He came in a game against UCLA. The game was in Los Angeles, and the field goal gave Michigan State a 17-14 victory. As Dave Kaiser came back to the sidelines following his kick, he came to the roaring enthusiasm of his teammates and Coach Daugherty. And the coach said, nice going, Dave, but I noticed you didn't watch the ball after you kicked it. How come? And Kaiser replied, you're right, coach. I didn't watch the ball. I was watching the referee to see how he would uh, rule on it, how he would call it. You see, I forgot my contact lenses. They're back in the hotel. I couldn't even see the goalpost. And Daugherty was shocked. And at first he was angry that Kaiser had not told him about not having his contacts. But after the coach thought it over, he changed his mind. Why shouldn't Kaiser kick without his contact lenses? Kaiser was a disciplined kicker. He had practiced hours upon hours he knew well the angle and the distance to the goalpost, even though he couldn't see them. The whole process of kicking the ball was programmed into his body and his mind by that ongoing discipline of practice every day. And in that moment when the ball went through the goalpost, that discipline paid off. Discipline is a key to any endeavor. It's true in the classroom, on the playing field, in the workplace, and in our Christian walk. The Christian life includes good spiritual habits. Habits like prayer and worship and serving in the community and study and meditation I don't hear much about habits these days, but I contend that there are few things better than a good habit. A concert pianist once said that if he missed one day of practice, he could tell it. And if he missed two days of practice, his audiences could tell it. How are we doing with the Christian disciplines? With serving, with praying, with worshiping. Those disciplines make a huge difference. The life of faith like that of an athlete needs discipline. A second lesson we can learn from sports is the importance of a clear-cut purpose and direction. 
It's important to run a straight course, to be intentional about what we're doing. If you hit a baseball over the fence, but trot the third base, then the second base, and then the first before going to home plate, your effort will count for nothing. You didn't follow the proper direction. Or take another example. You can be one of the fastest athletes in the world. Another Usain Bolt. But if you're running in a relay race and you stray out of your lane assignment, you're disqualified. You've lost. You may be running fast, but going in the wrong direction. Which way are we running? What is the most important thing in your life? What are your priorities? The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians, I run straight toward the goal in order to win the prize, which is God's call through Christ Jesus to the life above. What I am describing is what folks today call focus. The person who has his or her life focused, who knows where he or she is going, is the one most likely to succeed. After his conversion, Paul focused everything he was, everything he hoped to be, on one thing, and that was serving Christ. Do our lives have focus? Do they have a purpose, a great purpose? Earlier I read the following words from the book of Hebrews. So then let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now the word witnesses refers to the people that have been mentioned in previous chapters here in Hebrews. All the faithful people of God who have gone before us. Those words in Scripture are a terrific image. Think of it this way. It's like being at a track and field meet. And we are running a long-distance race. And every Christian who has gone before us is filling the stands, surrounding the track, and cheering us on with full voice. That's the image. Paul said, set your eyes on the goal, which is Christ Jesus. Learn to put Him first. Do the things Christ calls His followers to do. Namely, to love unselfishly, to treat others as you would like to be treated, to be an advocate for peace and justice and mercy. That's our game plan. But there's one more lesson to be learned from sports. We can experience in advance, in our minds and in our hearts, the joy of victory. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul wrote this. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day. Paul had a clear sense of the one who had called him, the God to whom he had committed his life. He was convinced that by God's grace he would be carried over the finish line, that he would be a winner. And he could almost feel that gold medal on his chest or see the laurel wreaths placed on his head. And you and I can have that kind of anticipation as well. Many athletes today say that they visualize victory. In their minds before competing, they see themselves performing flawlessly. The hurdler sees herself clearing the hurdles. The wide receiver eyes the football into his hands as he catches the winning pass. The swimmer feels herself touching the wall just before her competitors. They visualize winning in their minds before it actually happens. Our spiritual ancestors knew about such things. In their hymns, they sang words like, when we all get to heaven, what well, a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Can we feel a sense of victory? Can you visualize the fulfilling of the kingdom of God? Can you envision a time when there will be no more war and no more hatred? Can you imagine a world where everyone has enough? That's what we're working for. And that's what we're working toward. Well, here we have it. Images in Paul's writings where the Christian life is compared to a race. The invitation to Christian discipleship that I extend is to run the race of life as Paul did. With discipline, focus, and anticipation of victory. Amen.
as we leave, let us go as the body of Christ in the world. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.